Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the first podcast of 2017. Great to have you along as you as always. I was thinking, actually, that uh, how antisocial magic is, because whenever there's a, a major thing like a new year, New Year's Eve being a classic example of this, I guess, more often than not, if we're professional entertainers, we're out working. And because we're out working, we are helping other people to enjoy their New Year, Christmas, Easter, birthday or whatever it is. But of course, we're not enjoying it ourselves, which means that if we want to socialise with our family and friends, then it has to be at other times when perhaps other people are not celebrating. This then means that if you try to get in contact with friends who you would want, perhaps normally want to see over Christmas, but you're too busy to see them, if you then try and see them afterwards, it feels not quite the same, does it? Because it's, it's not Christmas. And although it's nice enough to see them from time to time, it's not really the big da-da because it's New Year's Eve. I suppose it's, it's the nature of the beast, though, isn't it, for us as entertainers? Anybody who's involved in the entertainment industry will always have this problem, of course. It's not, uh, it's not unusual. But um, I was thinking about New Year's Eve in particular, because in the 35 years that I've been a pro, I can only think of two New Year's Eves when I haven't actually had a booking. Um, one was actually last year, where an agent booked me into a place uh, only to discover about a month or so before that he'd already booked somebody else. So I lost the booking and it was too late to, to get another one in place. And the other time was in the year 2000, when there were lots and lots of um, big celebrations planned. And I, along with a load of other magicians, was booked to um, attend a big event in Bath in Somerset. And unfortunately, due to a lack of support, I mean, the ticket prices were ridiculously high, I thought. But due to a lack of support, the event was cancelled at the last minute. And so I actually got to uh, to celebrate the, the coming of the new millennium with my friends and family. But that's such a rare occasion. But I suppose when you're in entertainment, that is something that you have to accept, that you will not be able to do things when other people are. But it's not just special occasions, is it? We also have to bear in mind that for those of us, again, who do a lot of shows, that weekends, possibly nearly every weekend, is going to be affected by in one way or another by this lack of free time and I think the issue comes when because every year at the beginning of the year my wife and I we, we look at what say holidays and time off we want to have during the year and we try and book it in particularly when it's at weekends because we both know that the chances are if we leave it even a few months into the year then bookings will start to come in and we'll be blocking out certain weekends and key times, preventing us from going away or preventing us from, from doing other social events. And so we find ourselves having to, to put these in the diary as if they are a booking. We will go and see X, Y and Z friends on the 14th of April, because if we don't, we're not going to see them, um, which is a bit ridiculous having to do things a long way ahead. But it is something that we, we feel we have to do if we want to keep any sort of social life going. I think weekends in particular, um, people who do children's shows and who do adult work can sometimes find that they are extremely busy, both Saturday and possibly even Sunday and sometimes Fridays as well, which can then block out an entire weekend on a fairly consistent basis. And it's only for me by taking out these particular dates and saying, OK, no matter what happens, I am not now going to take a booking on this particular weekend 
that I ever get any guaranteed time off. Of course, when you rely on the money, then it's very difficult, isn't it? If you have a social occasion, you know, dinner with friends or something, and then a big inquiry comes in and you think, oh, what do I do? Uh, and sometimes I suppose you may take the view, well, uh, OK, we can reschedule the friends because this is such a big deal. I can't afford to let all this money go. But the trouble is, there's always a good reason not to go and see your friends and always a very good reason, perhaps, to take the money. And so over the years, gradually, as, as I've gone, I've come to realise that, OK, if there are some occasions when I've booked something social and a booking inquiry comes in, I'll just accept that, OK, I'm not free, as if I had another booking, rather than trying to fiddle it around. Because otherwise what happens is, if you keep rescheduling your friends, then they get fed up. And I think there's no point in inviting him, because he, he's always rescheduling. We get near the date and he doesn't want to come. So I'm sure that if you do a lot of shows, you have these problems too. And um, we all have to, I suppose, find a way to, to get around it. One of the bookings that I had in December this year, or last year now... Um, was uh, for a dinner for the WI and I was doing a 45 minute sort of cabaret spot. There were about 100 ladies who came to the event and it was taking place in a village hall and it just so happened that I'd worked in this village hall once before for a, another event a couple of years ago and this is quite an old-fashioned village hall in the sense that it has a, a proscenium arch sort of stage at one end and then it's a long thin-ish hall stretching away to kitchens at the back. And so I knew what the venue was going to be like. And I assumed because with the previous booking, um, I'd had to work on the stage and the people had been sitting facing the stage. that That's how it would be again. But when I turned up at the dinner and um, the dinner was already well in progress at that point, because I was performing when they'd finished. Uh, I discovered that, in fact, they'd orientated the seating in completely a completely different way. Basically, they'd had tables running down the length of it along the back wall, if you like, or the side wall, as it would have been um, from the way it was orientated before, facing the other long wall and then other sort of lines of tables coming off. In other words, they had their sides to the stage and were facing away, sort of either away from it or towards the, the wall on the other side. So I thought, well, I, obviously, I I'm not going to work on the stage then. So where am I going to work? And uh, I worked out that there was a position in the room um, sort of towards one end and across a corner where if I set up there and I worked from there, everybody would be able to see. What this reminded me that, of, though, is the way that often when we arrive at venues, especially if it's not like for strolling so much, but when it's a more set piece show and you're not quite sure of exactly what the layout of the room is going to be like, how sometimes when you arrive, people say, right, we'd like you to work over there. And you look at the space they've given you and you immediately think to yourself, well, that's hopeless. It might be all right for a singer or a comedian where people don't actually have to be able to see him or her all of the time. But for magic, people have to be able to see you because otherwise they obviously they can't see what the magic is. And I think organisers don't always realise or don't think this one through. You know, there are pillars in the way or there's there are other things which at Christmas time, big Christmas trees or other decorations um, or things like that. And often they haven't worked out, well, if the magician will get the magician to work there because, well, that's where the band is going to be, perhaps. And the magician has to work in front of the band. But it might not be suitable for you. And I know in the old days, uh, when I was um, a bit more of a rookie with this sort of thing, I tended to just go, oh, OK. And I would try and work within the confines 
of the space that had been afforded me and sometimes to my detriment because it was only although I realised almost immediately it wasn't going to be ideal when it wasn't until you performed you realised how totally unideal it really was and and so what I tend to do these days is I'm much more proactive in trying to if necessary rearrange the room a little in order to suit me so that it makes my act look the best that it can possibly look it's all to do with a kind of knowing what you need in order for your act to go over well and then assessing the situation when you get there and working out in a very clear way what needs to be done what needs to be moved if at all possible to move it in order to create the right environment for you to work and I think that's a really important thing to do because when the book of books us they want us to do our best show don't they of course they do they want us to be a tremendous success and yet they don't always set up things so that we will be a success they don't know so I think it's up to us to make sure that the environment that is available to us can, is changed so that they get the best of what we can do now of course there are times naturally enough when it isn't possible and there are situations where um, the layout of the room can only because of everything else if there were lots and lots of um, say it was a dinner and there were lots of dinner tables very big dinner tables set in a very particular pattern and the only place to work is where they've left you and it's not ideal well you have to make the best of it of course but I think especially with children's shows, and, I, and this I would say this does often apply to them as well as to anything else, um, I will change the environment if it's at all possible so that everybody gets the best view. The kids are where I want them to be and they get the best sight lines and I've got the room to actually do my show properly. But it does take a certain amount of obviously knowing what you want and having the confidence to go to the booker and say, look, is there any chance that we can move from there to there because this will be better? And what I found is that if it is possible, people are often very obliging. Oh, yeah, of course. And all that might take a bit of effort. If you then get it arranged properly, then your show is much more likely to be a success. Now, the fact that you're listening to this podcast presumably means you like listening to audio online or via MP3 download. And um, over the last few years, there's been quite um, an increase in the number of magical podcasts that are available to us all to listen to. We tend to think of um, most people being interested in video content. Look at the success of YouTube, for instance. But I think audio content such as podcasts does have a place. And, and I know there are some people who listen to this podcast who they like to download it and listen to it in the car when they're driving to work in the mornings. So uh, it does have its place. Um, to that end, we decided that it would be interesting to, uh, in Magic Scene, to, to do an article about the various magical podcasts that are currently available. And in the January issue, which is the latest issue, of course, uh, we did just that. Uh, in an article called Picking the Perfect Podcast, Ian Smith has um, done some research and come up with a really interesting article about some of the major players um, in the marketplace. Um, people like the Magician's Podcast, for instance, um, which has been a very popular one, which I was disappointed to actually to read in the article, um, is, is going to be finishing because um, obviously Richard Young has, has got a, a lot on his plate as part of Young and Strange and, and, and it would be difficult for him to keep this going long term. But he's done some excellent um, podcasts with interviews with a lot of very notable and interesting people. Um, but um, 
not just that one which is obviously based in the uk but scott wells is one the magic word which actually um i featured in on one occasion he interviewed me when i was in the states two or three years ago for the magic word and um his interviews are also very interesting because he, he he tends to come at things from a slightly different angle and sometimes gets people to open up in a way that was perhaps unexpected and then you've got other ones, uh, children's entertainers ones, um, and various other ones too, all of which have their own um, value, have their own niche. Most of them tend to be interviews. That's the format that's the most common. Um, ones like mine, for instance, which obviously uh, doesn't. It's just, a, it's just me talking to you on a one-to-one -one basis rather than me having interviews, uh, is less common. Um, I personally like this format. I think it has some value. Well, I hope that it does. Otherwise, people wouldn't listen to it. But um, the others tend to be um, more sort of interview based. And if that's something that you're really interested in, then go search them out. And if you want some ideas of some of the ones to look at, then look at the current issue of Magic Scene or just go online and type in Magic Podcasts and see what comes up. Ever since I've been involved in Magic, since the, the mid-1960s, there has always been a number of uh, dealers who specialised in coming up with and manufacturing magic props made from things such as wood. Uh, quite often these people would be craftsmen in themselves. They would be um, wood turners or carpenters and they would turn their skills to making magic props. And I think about people like in the early days when I first was getting involved like Jack Hughes um, some of the um, children's items that Harry Stanley sold, um, Supreme Magic, of course, um, Gillini. All these people, they, they had skills which um, were perhaps more common in those days, and which enabled them to make all these amazing props. And I've still got uh, in my cupboard some of the wooden props that I bought all those years ago, made from wood, um, from people like Harry Stanley. I had his, um, his Man in the Moon which is still serviceable, which still works. And over the years, there's always been somebody somewhere who is prepared to take all the effort to make these labour-intensive props. I've got a box all table that was made by Dave Shaw from it when he was running Quality Props. Um, he's not um, trading anymore. That business doesn't exist. It was an, when he went. It was another avenue for that sort of table, roll-on tables and and all those sort of bigger illusion-type props. Much more difficult um, to find uh, places now that will make these. Um, Colin Rose uh, still makes uh, beautiful props, uh, almost collectible things as well. And another one that I remember, and this was um, strangely, I suppose in a way, was mainly to do with um, close-up magic, was Alan Warner, who made lots of very finely crafted close-up magic tricks, very unique, uh, which are now valuable and very highly collectible. So all, all these people over the years have created these, these magic props. And when you now look at the, if you like, the demographic of the magic dealer, you suddenly realise that if we want something substantial like that, our choices for where we go to get them, certainly in the UK anyway, are becoming increasingly limited. I mean, it may well be that there are suppliers in India or elsewhere who can supply stuff, but the, the, more, the sort of UK craftsman type constructed prop is becoming something more of a rarity because 
so much of the volume of magic is in close-up and a lot of that is now as i am intending to do later this year i'm turning over to supplying all my stuff digitally because my close-up magic lends itself to be um transmitted or transported to the customer either as a download or via online learning um and a lot of other dealers are doing similar things you're getting less and less and less physical props when you buy a trick you're you're getting the idea whether it's a download or on a dvd or whatever it is and then you're it is explained to you how to make the props but of course that can be done with simple things like card tricks but it can't be done with metal with leather work with with wooden props so i do wonder you know are we going to reach a point where in the uk certainly perhaps not elsewhere so much but certainly in the uk there is nobody left who is prepared or able or has the skill to actually make all this stuff um, it's, it'd be a pity wouldn't it if that was the case um, i suppose generally speaking woodworking skills are not needed so much they're not taught so much uh, so therefore they're not available generally and so of all the people who are able to do woodworking the number of those who get involved in magic or have any interest in making magical props for let's face it very low turnover and often not very high profits because of all the work involved it may well be that we end up in a situation that there's nobody virtually left who can do it which would be a great pity wouldn't it getting the volume of music or audio generally when you're using a microphone at a show is uh, sometimes surprisingly difficult isn't it because there are lots of different factors that come into play about how loud your amp actually needs to be turned up to in order for people to be able to comfortably hear it and this is why um, DJs for instance when they put on so-called background music when we're trying to do table hopping around the tables uh, often put the music up too loud it's because they don't seem to realize that with all the noise of, of people talking as and as they're as they're eating and the, added to that the level of volume that they've put on the music means that as a performer when you're trying to be heard you literally have to shout and bellow from one side of the table to the other which is is really not clever and it's not just um, DJs though I, I find sometimes that if I'm doing a children's show for instance it's hard to judge especially if you don't have a chance to to test it out beforehand at a venue how loud to put your music on your amplifier if, if I'm doing games which I normally do then um, I need music playing if it's too soft the kids can't hear it as they're leaping about so they don't know when to start and stop a game if I put it too loud then that's wrong as well <laughs> and in fact um, I had this situation at a show um, recently where I was doing a cabaret spot and um, the very, I only used music for the very first trick I used my microphone but I, I used music for the first trick and I do a coin and handkerchief routine to start my act and I, and I wasn't able to test the, the sound volume in this particular venue in advance because I arrived after they'd already started um, the evening and so I just had to set it up and kind of guess so I'm standing, I've got my amplifier kind of next to me, alongside me, and, and I'm doing the routine, and, uh, and I had the music, and I must have had it up a little bit too loud, because there was a lady, an elderly lady, who was sitting, she wasn't right in front of the speaker, but she, she wasn't a million miles away from it, and she called out, too loud, about my music. 
And unfortunately, because of the nature of the trick that I was doing, I I couldn't stop in order to turn it down a bit. I had my I had things palmed, and I was I was in the middle of a sequence, and I sort of said, "Sorry, can't can't do anything about it at the moment," type of thing. But it didn't sound too loud to me, um, standing next to the amplifier. Um, but clearly, for her, maybe she had her hearing aids turned up too much. It it really was uncomfortable. And I certainly know that feeling because I expect, like you, I've been in gala shows uh, at magic conventions where a stage act will come on, uh, an illusion act or something, with music that is essentially deafening. And, it's, and it really puts you off because if your ears are hurting because of the, the level of volume of the music, then it completely distracts from the magic and you just simply don't enjoy it so much. And so our attempts to to to, uh, to impress are hampered and impeded by the fact that the music is simply too loud. So trying to judge this is is tricky. I mean, I think when I'm doing um, children's parties, um, I have obviously don't have a lead microphone. I have a wireless one, so I can move out in amongst the kids as they're doing a game, as they're dancing, or whatever it is they're doing. And I can walk out to the audience and I can hear whether the volume is about right. But in this other case where the lady said the music was too loud, I, I couldn't. I was uh, in front of the audience and I couldn't walk out at that stage into the audience to see whether actually it was OK. Because there's a balance. It might Because she was, as I say, not right in front of the speaker, but relatively close to the speaker. But somebody else at the back of the room, because um, it was quite a long room, might not have been able to hear sufficiently had I turned it down to a level that was acceptable to the lady at the front. So maybe sometimes you have people have to put up with a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> it just I just thought it was funny that she that she thought it was okay to shout out too loud. So I actually knew maybe she hadn't said anything. I, actually, I would never have realised. Well, there's a thought. I mentioned earlier in this podcast about the article on podcasts. That's in, that uh, is in the current issue of Magic Scene and how the fact that you're listening to this means you obviously enjoy audio. And the other thing about audio is I also have a range of audio books. Uh, currently, I have three in which um, they either currently come on a CD or a downloadable loadable MP3 file. And um, Going Walkabout, which is the, the book about how to do mix and mingle magic, trade show magic which is my um, advice on how to approach tr um, working for companies at trade shows and The Table Magician, The Do's and Don'ts of Table Hopping. Um, all those three books are all available as e-books, but they are also available as audio books. And so, as I mentioned earlier, if you're the sort of person who, when you go on journeys, you like to have an audio book to listen to, these are a really good way, I think, of, of um, listening to something that hopefully is of interest to you that enables you to learn quite easily as you're driving along um, and which hopefully will be entertaining and, and interesting and in fact um, I'm just about to uh, bring out um, a fourth book um, this is a book called A Simple Guide to Creativity and it's a book that I've um, had available in printed format for some time and also as an ebook. And I think that would also make a good audiobook, so I intend to record that, and that will be available sometime very soon. So if you do like listening to the spoken word, then um, consider those audiobooks. Uh, I think you'll find them very interesting, and it's a great way to pass a car journey. Over the years, I've done quite a lot of shows through agents, and I've noticed that in more recent times, 
the number of agent book shows has gradually fallen away. Now, this could be just me that I'm getting less agent bookings. But I wondered actually whether it was also part of a general trend, because if you think about it, pre the Internet, one of the only ways to get uh, any sort of idea about what acts might be available to you if you're putting on a function would be to go through an agent. All right. If you just wanted a comedian or you just wanted a magician in your local area, you, of course, could go to Yellow Pages and look up something suitable there. But if you were putting on a bigger event and you needed several different types of act, anything from singers to bands to comedians to magicians, then an agent would have the contacts and would hopefully have the ability to pull together all the various acts that you need, saving you the time and the trouble and the energy. But now with the Internet and Google, obviously, is a wonderful search engine. You know, if you want to find comedians, then you can type comedians in, in, into Google and be suddenly confronted with all sorts of um, websites where you can look up all manner of different types of comedian. And so I did wonder whether agents are starting to find it much more difficult to get bookings. I'm sure that and I've talked to one or two agents about this. And one of the problems that they have is that people will come to them saying, look, I want to put on an event and I'm going to need this, this and this type of act. And they get some quotes from the agent and then they then have a ballpark that they know that when they go off and do their own search, that if they can get it cheaper than the agent's got it, then they know that it's the right price, if you see what I mean. And agents get used like this quite a bit, I think, and it must be very dispiriting for them. It's a bit like architects who have to do a tender, do a drawing or a tender for a project do all the work and yet they may not get the actual work and it's a bit like that with agents and I do wonder that because people now have got the ability to do stuff themselves whether they still do I mean I think agents still do have their place particularly for big events or for organizations such as hotel chains or big businesses where they're looking to put entertainers into perhaps in the case of hotels, into a whole range of venues throughout the country. And for them to do that would be very time intensive uh, and actually very difficult. And it's not worth their while. They'd rather say to an agent, OK, here's 50 grand. We need the following entertainers in the following venues. Just go sort it. Uh, and I would imagine that agents still can do that type of thing. But as a, a, on a sort of lower level with more individual bookings, I wonder whether the bottom has actually fallen out of that market. There is one agent who uh, I, I've worked for a number of years through locally and I've, I'm quite friendly with him and I've often chatted to him. And what he's had to do is instead of being a general agent, he's started to specialise more and gone into into the um, in his particular case, I think it was um, into mu musicals and booking acts into musicals and things like this. He's had to become more niche uh, in order to service a particular sector of the market rather than just trying to be a general agent who's open for business for just about anybody. So, you know, I mean, I feel sorry for agents in a way. I, I know that um, amongst magicians, for instance, whereas at one time we might be circulating our details around to lots of agents, we probably do that a lot less. Um, there are things like so, or that social media is often used now for magicians to, to swap shows amongst themselves, sometimes for money, sometimes just as a you give me one of yours and I'll give you one of mine type of approach. 
so that's also undercutting the the agency market because we're we're doing it amongst ourselves if we can't do a booking then we'll give it to somebody else if they can't do a booking they give it to us we don't need to go to the agents in order to get a lot of the types of booking that we might want but however as i say if you want to get into the bigger venues maybe there is still a place for that um that place where we can't actually get to because if you go to let's say hilton hotel or the Brent Group, or whatever, you, you're, you're probably not going to get in there just by approaching them individually, because they already have agents in place who, who do all their their um, sort of artist booking. But uh, at the level just below that, I suspect that now more and more people are doing it themselves, and so us get, are getting we are getting more bookings directly through the internet than we used to, and that's why agents are gradually becoming a bit redundant. And there we are. We're out of time again. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the various um, topics that I've chosen to chat about this month. And uh, I'd like to wish you all, obviously, a very happy new year. And I'll be back next month with uh, some different things to chat to you about. In the meantime, have a good month and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.